Hello. Good afternoon. How are you? Excellent. How are you today? Awesome. Thanks for joining me. Uh, yeah. And for all of you listening, thanks for joining the Homegrown Chats podcast. I'd like to welcome Cole Turner to the show, who is, uh, what would you what would you give as your title? The moderator? Yeah, I think moderator is a good, uh, I make a lot of the memes on, uh, on the Gurdjieff Group uh, Instagram account. Okay, well, um, you know, we, I, uh, how about it? We encountered each other on Instagram and with my emphasis on uh, philosophy and the greater perspective of health, I find it very interesting and applicable to uh, bring in perspectives and uh, with you standing as knowledgeable opinion of the, well, what would you call them? The mystic, the sage, the philosopher. Um, I can't wait to get into this. You know, with uh, with all that said, Cole, take it away. I just want to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. So, Ken, thanks again for, for the opportunity. Um, you know, I love talking about, um, you know, the illustrious Mr. Gurdjieff and, um, you know, getting some information out there and, you know, sharing what I know. Um, so, yeah, so I've been interested or involved in the Gurdjieff work for probably about the last um, you know, 10 or 11 years in, in some form, um, in some form or another actively. Um, and I've been aware of Gurdjieff himself and his books and some of his students for probably around um, since about 2008, 2008 or nine when I first uh, discovered him. And since then, you know, there's a lot that goes into, into the practice that we can kind of, um, you know, go into and some of, and some of the ideas. Um, but I thought that I'd maybe share with you a little bit of the story of how I came to find um, Gurdjieff and because it's uh, a little bit serendipitous. Ah, you bring it. All right. So in 2007, um, my 20-year-old self moved to Montreal from Halifax, Nova Scotia. And it was a bit of a, I guess, a bit of a part of a search, um, you know, for something. Um, I'd always been interested in, in philosophy and um, history and um, even some, you know, metaphysics and spirituality and things like that. Um, so when I moved to Montreal, I was meeting a lot of new people. I was the first real big city that I'd lived in as a, as an adult. And so on a whim, one day, my, my friend asked me if I wanted to go to take a trip to, to New York city. It was only about six hours drive away. So I said, sure. Um, while I was in New York, I was, you know, shopping at all the, the local bookstores and, you know, I was just amazed by, the specialty bookstores available and the different books that, that were there. Uh-huh. And, and at the time I'd been reading this book um, by a Canadian called cosmic consciousness. And his name is Maurice Buke. And it was kind of an overview of um, different perspectives on what quote cosmic consciousness um, is. And so one of the people that he featured in his book was uh, P.D. Ospensky. Who is a uh, yes? So he's a Russian uh, philosopher, um, or as Wikipedia puts it, explainer. Um, 
And so I was in this bookstore called Spoonbill in Sugartown in Brooklyn. Um, and I was looking at the books and, you know, I asked the person working there, you know, do you have anything by Maurice Buke or, or P.D. Ospensky? And she said, nope. And walked away. But then someone came over and tapped me on the shoulder, as you could do then, and said, <laughs> and said, it's funny, but it's not. No, I know. I have to put some light into it. Well um, done. So they came over and tapped me on the shoulder and said, did you know that, you know, Maurice Buke and Ospensky were both students of, of, of Gurdjieff? And I'd never heard the name before. And it kind of, it hit me. And I can go back to that moment where, when it happened, like it was, you know, it's as fresh as ever. Um, so from that point on, I pretty much spent the rest of my trip in New York, going to all the bookstores, you know, trying to find some, some material. Yes. And it was very challenging. Um, even then in 2008 or nine, um, and there was not the same level of availability of things online. So it required a real, a real search on my part. Right. Um, so after leaving New York, um, got back to Montreal and visited my favorite bookstore there, which was, um, I'm not sure if it's still there, but it's called Cheap Thrills. And mm. I found another one of Ospensky's books called In, uh, A New Model of the Universe. And I picked up the book and I paid for it. And as I walked out of the store, I opened the book and there was a card sitting in the book and it was for Gurdjieff Montreal. Oh, then, interesting. Yes. So I took that as a, another, you know, serendipitous um, moment happening. And yeah. I called the number on the card Um and so from that point on, I basically continued working with um, my teacher, whose name is Edward Fanabiria, um, and Sorry, learned a uh, lot. Got dogs back here. Oh, it's all right. And um, so I joined the group and came to learn that Edward had studied with um, a man named John Bennett. And John Bennett is probably one of, uh, is one of Gurdjieff's more prominent students. And he was responsible for doing an intensive um, four year series of, sorry, one year study programs for a hundred students each over the course of a four year period in the 1970s. Um, and Edward was a part of one of the third series of uh of year-long school so basically that got me introduced into the actual the work itself and initiated me into some of the exercises and the ideas and really the first time working um, you know with a group of of other people working toward you know the same or similar aims ah okay right so I, I continued to live in Montreal for probably about, I left in um, 2012. And during that time, I 
did all kinds of things. Um, it was really an explore exploration type of period. Uh, for me, I worked in, you know, some different customer service telecom jobs. I worked at bars as, um, you know, bar back or server. I spent a lot of time in a raw vegan restaurant in Montreal doing kind of line work. Um, I even opened a, an underground um, club with my friends um, that we almost got into a lot of trouble for, but didn't. Um, and that's maybe a story for another day. Definitely. Um, and so it was a lot of, uh, there was a lot going on there. And eventually I decided that the lifestyle wasn't right for me to live in Montreal. So I left with three of my friends to, to start a farm in, in Nova Scotia and do more practical, um, you know, practical work. Fascinating. You know what? We haven't, um, we haven't, you know, really addressed our personal narratives. If I can interject, but briefly, um, we've got that shared platform of the agricultural endeavor. I've been involved with quite a few farms. I've been uh, working as a wholesaler and then working with uh, the biotech angle of things. So that's of interest. I look forward to pursuing more conversations in line with that. Um, Absolutely. You know, I like how um, call it a, a predilection or at least an interest in these type of subject matters. It's really, it's always fascinated me to note how, um, you know, the personal narrative leads to a certain way of thinking, obviously, right? Call it education, call it, um, conditioning, what have you. But there's something about, as I find too, the, the philosophical or the, uh, the unorthodox stuff. And so to find, you know, to hear how you are discovering Uspensky, Gurdjieff, you know, the, that, that pedigree or even that heritage, right? Like, um, I think that's every bit as fascinating as getting into the actual text or the substance of that system, right? Like, um, it's, you know, personal interest and the like, but, uh, that's all I got. Take it away, man. No, and that's such a it's such a good point because, you know, so much of, um, you know, your someone's ability to find the answers that they're looking for is a certain passion and a certain um, drive to to answer those questions. And that's right. It's definitely something that, um, you know. It, it doesn't seem like an attribute that comes by naturally, but for, for whatever reason for myself, it's always been, I've always been thirsted for, for knowledge, for, um, you know, the unknown. Um, and that's a, a thread that's continued, you know, all through my life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's such an important attribute of a seeker or someone who is, you know, a philosopher or, or, you know, mystic, like it's one of the things that, that unites people on those fronts is that there needs to be this constant, this drive, this hunger, this, this motivation toward what sometimes feels like, you know, the unknown and, um, you know, it takes a lot of courage to, for anyone to really, to seek out things that go against, you know, what their upbringing or their conditioning is, as you mentioned. Um, yeah, that's right. Like, um, you know, if I can, again, the, um, 
I think I phrased it recently in something I was writing as the cultural echo chamber. And there's stuff that's provided and it's on like, you know, it's at the accessible level. It's stuff that will maintain culture, right? Call it hegemony, just call it the consistent application of identity across social conventions or institutions. And so you have, you know, let's say the typical fare of, you know, as an American, it would be, you know, perhaps baseball and apple pie, but we all know there's a whole hell of a lot more to it than that, right? Like to get out of that orthodoxy or structure and seek out other perspectives. Um, you know, I think this is part of why the project or this particular thinker stands out at me. Um, I have an interest in ancient philosophy and I like to, uh, heap scorn on modern stuff because I'd like to say that you can point out undercurrents of myriad platforms to and trace them to ancient sources, right? And I think it's important to go to actual original source material. Um, now, for my you know for my bent on the old stuff, I really like the Greek realm. And uh, interestingly enough, of late I've been getting into Plotinus. And I'm working on a translation of his book, The Aeneids. And he's one of those guys who joined up in a military expedition and then got left in the middle of hell and gone and had to make his way back. And in the course of doing so, he had so much contact with outside perspective. And it's the, you know, it's that story of a Westerner going out and touching base with so many lands, people's beliefs and systems that he came back and invariably he put into play those items with which he has contact. And, you know, with that, I noticed the similarity or the, uh, you know, the parallels even with the, uh, the modern man, Gurdjieff. That's right. And there are a lot of parallels there. And, you know, kind of going back to what we were saying about that, that aspect of seeking, how, you know, sometimes you don't know what you're looking for, but the journey mm -hmm. toward looking for it, you know, provides you with material and, you know, ideas that, you can then integrate through your your own experience and your other ideas and see how they how they all fit together isn't and that something i think that's profound i think you said that like eloquently right like isn't that something like to enjoy on the process is one thing and it's another thing entirely to know what you're looking for that's part of the process right to clarify right. your questions like the uh it's like the vision of the of the grail will change, but you don't even know that it's the grail at first step, right? Like it's a little bit cloudy. It, it, it certainly becomes clarified the more input you have to it. That's right. Well, hopefully anyway. Yeah. And, you know, there's that aspect of, you know, within that process that, you know, when you're, when you're seeking or when you're looking for something, you know, you think you know what it is that you're looking for. But, mm. you know, often the way that you can formulate what it is that you're looking for is based on information that you already have or experiences that you've already had. So how platonic. Needs... Yeah. And, you know, I mean, Gurdjieff is, Gurdjieff is sometimes described as, as neoplatonic and, you know, he has some, some interesting parallels with that I can make with, with Plato and different things that that he said i'm not as familiar with with plotinus uh -huh. um, i do know that whenever i hear the name plotinus it brings up this uh 
image for me of a, a painting by this um, visionary artist called uh, Paul Lafoley, okay. who um, is of great interest to me. He, re- he died in the last few years, but he's, um, I encourage your listeners when they get a chance um, you know, to take a look at, at him because he's a wealth of, um, he encodes a lot of information into his paintings and he's also a big um, Gurdjieff fan. So, mm, okay. um, but yes, the one kind of, um, when we're talking about seeking, we're talking about, you know, Plotinus and Plato and, and Gurdjieff, one of the quotes that comes to me from, from Plato is, you know, that knowledge is, is remembering. Yes. And Potatoes. I think there's this aspect that everything is available to us in one way or another. It's just that we don't know the right questions to ask, or we don't know where to look. Hmm. Right. And so um, help me out. Gurdjieff has an approach to remembrance. That's right. So as much as Gurdjieff is a thinker and he has a lot of ideas and cosmologies and systems, um, for me, the thing that continues to attract and appeal to me is the practical, the practical aspects. Mm. Um, so one of the ideas that was very controversial and continues to be very controversial um, about the way that about Gurdjieff's ideas was, is that, in their normal form, human beings are effectively machines. So, you know, that's a big statement. Um, but I can give, I can give an example. So if we're sitting here and, you know, I say to you, Kent, is it possible for, you know, you to maintain the physical sensation in your left foot. So we can all feel our left foot, see a small increase of, of sensation, whether it be in the soles of the feet or, you know, the tips of the toes or the, the temperature of your foot inside the shoe. Right. But, Localized, right. It's particularized. That's right. But then as we continue to talk, And, you know, as we move our conversation maybe into, you know, some other directions or we start talking about, um, you know, cosmology or things like that, the intention or ability to sustain that sensation, it goes away. Yes, right. So for me, as I I continue to work in the Gurdjieff system and, you know, with some of the ideas and the practical tools – Part of the work is recognizing in yourself that you're not necessarily the way you think you are. And there's Ah, a certain... That's right. Okay. And there's a certain disconnect between the vision that you have of yourself versus how you actually are. Yes. Right. Okay. And so it goes to this idea, like the Socratic idea of, know thyself and for Gurdjieff one of the biggest principles that feeds into that idea of know thyself is the requirement 
to verify. So we all know that, you know, anyone who's familiar with, you know, modern religion or anything like that, there's such an emphasis on belief and the suspension of your, you know, better judgment or criticism or discernment. And so that's one of the main differences that appealed to me in the beginning with Gurdjieff was that he's not asking for you to believe anything. In fact, it's very much the opposite that he's asking you to not believe anything that you cannot verify yourself. Right. And that's not out of the realm of the ordinary, right? Like you think of that, someone might term that an outrageous skepticism, but I think in this case, it's only healthy. That's what's really striking about it, right? Like, um, also it's just, it's a definite pleasure that you speak so well of this platform, because again, as I said earlier, it's so accessible, right? Like that suspension of belief or disbelief, right? To look at it and say, I'm going to investigate everything. That's only an active process. There's really something to that. That's the, that's the investigation. I think that's really going to reap some rewards, right? The active or the fulfillment or of an active process of inquiry is very important. Absolutely. And it's one of those things that makes Gurdjieff's ideas and his system and the tools and exercises that he brought so applicable to to the modern world um you know we see how people are far more skeptical than they used to be there's you know organized religion is waning in some ways but also you know becoming stronger in other ways um but what we see is that science and the idea of science and the scientific method are becoming, you know, the predominant ideas in our world. And Gurdjieff basically brings the scientific method to your individual psychology and asks you to take your life as the laboratory so that you can learn, you know, more about who you are, you know, how you function. Um, and hopefully in doing so, learning about the quote, microcosm, which is the human being. If we can learn more about the microcosm, then perhaps we can understand and verify what macrocosm we live in. Right. And, and that process of investigation gives you the lay of the land, right? Really opens up the horizons and the thresholds of other, of other stuff that just will not be available or accessible without that investigation. Um, you know what, can I, I'm going to go a little bit further into it. Sure. Um, when you say about the verification process, and then extending that to life as the laboratory. One of the things that I really like with the system as you elucidate it is his uh, inclusion of minds through time, right? And it's seamless. He's got a place for the ideas of Plato. Uh, we were talking about his contemporaries, but I noticed from my investigations that he makes use of, um, and maybe as a parallel, maybe as a matter of fact, uh, 
I'm just thinking about it. Uh, Foucault would have been a hell of a lot later than he was actually. So um, it's almost like he anticipates then Foucault's idea of the technology of the self and uh, contemporary with Nietzsche. I think he mentioned something about um, a focus on time, like the eternal recurrence. And that's like a stoic belief as well. But um, so it's certainly dated, right? But his use of it, his perspective takes into play a lot of sources and he has a home for them. It's really exciting to see how he can make use of such contrasting or even oppositional elements and find a home um, with his platform. It's, you know, it's exciting for me to see this, right? Like, um, I think it's important, the work of synthesis, right? Like he's offering his own work. This is original stuff, but um, to tie together, right? To be able to connect and harness um, such variables is work unto itself, right? Like, um, what was it that you said? Did you say that it was Wikipedia that um, identified Ospensky as an explainer? Yes, and it's with a heavy heart that I read that. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, props to you that you can recognize how disparaging that is, right? Like, um, you need those folks who can distill the work of others to get to new arrivals, to get to new conclusions, right? Like, it's a matter of tying it together to find those new thresholds, to discover those new horizons, right? There, I, I think that as yet, there are still undiscovered um, facts and truths, right? So um, to be able to break down into component parts and make new creations from new arrangements is, you know, that's, that's art, right? I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about as well, right? Like, um, I'm sorry, this gets me excited, Cole. I'm really thankful for the opportunity to discuss it. Um, It is. It's really exciting. Well, take it away. Can you speak to art? Uh, Where does art have a home in contrast to this portion that he says where life as a laboratory? So you can look at life as a laboratory. You can also, you know, synonymously say that, you know, life is is a work of art or your life is your art. Um, I don't know if, Gurdjieff would specifically say that, but when it comes to to art itself, Gurdjieff has some very interesting ideas about it and the the purpose and function of art. So, one of the the purposes of art, according to Gurdjieff, is to transmit information from generation to generation in a form that appeals to people who may not otherwise want to, you know, push those ideas. So let me clarify mm-hmm. that. So sim- symbolism is, is a good example. In a symbol, it can contain, you know, I think the phrase is a picture is a thousand words. So symbol is, a thousand pictures or something like that. Okay. And so those symbols are created that have, you know, artistic value. They have aesthetic value. People like to look at them. So there's a natural or mechanical carrying of those symbols through time. 
but within those symbols and within those pieces of art, you know, perhaps there are, there's information or understanding that's been encoded into that art to ensure that that information will pass to future generations without having to pass through filters that could otherwise be used if the discussion of those ideas were put more clearly. We were talking about this uh, yesterday. Well, we were talking about it in a previous conversation and, you know, I'm reviewing my notes. We were talking about this very thing. And one of the conclusions I reached about it was something along the lines of those filters. Um, The grasp of the presentation is at your level, your level of understanding. That's right. So this brings us into, as Gurdjieff describes, um, a very... So when we're talking about the levels of understanding, one way that Gurdjieff describes this is through what he calls the law of seven, which is related to uh, the octaves and um, a number of other different ideas. Um, But basically what it does is it allows you to break down things into, you know, seven different categories or in the case of, you know, human beings, seven different levels of, of humanity. And when I say levels, I would clarify it by saying that at each stage, so let's say there's human or man number one, man number two, man number three, all the way to man number seven. Okay. What differentiates each one of those levels is where your center of gravity is or where you place the strongest focus of your attention or of, you know, your value system. Hmm, Interesting. So for man number one, everything revolves around their physical body, making sure that it's comfortable, making sure that, um, you know, it's all taken care of and that there's no, you know, avoidance of pain or things like that. Man number two is characterized by a center of gravity regarding the emotions. And then man number three is characterized by a center of gravity regarding the intellectual center or the mind. So pretty much everyone that we encounter on a daily basis is in one of those, those three categories. Right. Yes. I mean, how very human, right? I mean, I make a use of that as the head, heart, and hands analogy, right? Exactly. Like that, that speaks to a basic level, right? Like humanity right there. That's right. And that's kind of as, as we know it. Um, and Gurdjieff would say that, you know, human beings are three-brained beings. And each one of those centers or brains, the physical, the emotional or the intellectual, they can all be seen as brains in Gurdjieff's ideas. Mm. And we're kind of seeing modern science catch up with that a little bit, being able to differentiate, you know, some of the functionings of the heart to the brain, and then even, you know, distinguishing certain functions of the nervous system from the brain itself. 
Um, so you have these seven levels. We're touching on three of them. So as someone, you know, looking to create a high work of art, the goal would be to be able to communicate what it is that you're trying to communicate through your art to every level. So mm. Gurdjieff calls this, his word for it is called a legomenism. And one example that is used of, of a legomenism is the Bible. So as much as the Bible is a good example of this, it's also a good example of on the other side. So when you encode information into a text like the Bible, it means that depending on your perspective or your level of understanding, you're going to be able to draw something different than what someone else is going to draw from it based on their own understanding. Can I interrupt and ask for something as far as sure. clarification? So um, when you refer to the legomenism, right? Like at root, it's art. Now is everyone, and you said that Gurdjieff's, uh, now I'm not, I'm not trying to hold you to strict definitions. Please. Um, we've talked about, um, now is he defining art as that which is transmitting to future generations? Or is he just saying that's a, um, that is a function among many? It's a function among many. Got it. Okay. He's not hanging his hat on that specifically. Okay. And then can everyone, while everyone can create art, he's not equivocating art with legomenism. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. A legomenism so, would be like a very high intentional work of art that was created with the express purpose of transmitting information so, so there's, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. There's all kinds of low art. There's all kinds of like, you know, and low is maybe not the best term, but there's also, there's art that's just created, you know, specifically to satisfy, you know, the senses and not really give much thought to what's really trying to be communicated. Yes. Right. Like, would that be called art for art's sake? Like it's, it's, not to not to uh, diminish it, but um, it's at at base, it's output, it's creation. Yeah, it's almost more like like craft. <laughs> yes, well said. <laughs> and you know, craft is there, you know, it there's a lot there's a lot to that, and we can discuss that a little bit too because there's a whole aspect of, um, you know, work for work's sake, or, um, you know being able to recognize that there's a certain something that you get out of, you know, working hard. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You know what you consider the inputs used in the art, right? Like you can be very uncouth with it, or you could be making use of, of distinguished refined instruments. Right. And that's not an elitist view, but, um, you think about the finished product, it's only as good as the ingredients that are included. And, right. uh, okay, take it away. Sorry to interrupt. No, it's, this is going great. Um, so 
yeah, I think that, you know, this as this idea of art and the way that I look at it and from my own personal perspective um, is that I, I, I do think that there is a real purpose behind art. And I think that, um, you know, there is information that and knowledge and understanding that has been lost down through the generations. And Gurdjieff himself, you know, says that, you know, we don't necessarily need to discover anything. We just need to be better at um, translating what has already been codified and put into, you know, whether it be fine works of art, whether it be architecture, whether it be, um, you know, literature. Um, Nothing you know. escapes this eye. And that's, the, that's, again, the beauty of it, right? Like, I noticed parallels with Nietzsche as well. His active critique is right in line with this. Nothing escapes that critical endeavor, else you're willing to suffer the consequences of passivity and just leaving, you know, yourself in relationship with perhaps a, um, you know, an, a variable or an element that is inferior or less than. Right. And, you know, we're constantly. Okay, so let's let's. I got to take this back a little bit. <laughs> so one of the, the aspects for Gurdjieff that continues to give me ongoing support and satisfaction is that, you know, there are all these ideas that Gurdjieff brought to the West, um, you know, through his travels in the East and, you know, through his own efforts and, and all this. And those ideas are extremely, you know, interesting and you can go really far into the cosmology and, you know, the law of three, the law of seven octaves, this and that. And that does attract a lot of people to the work. But for me, what continues to yield results are the practical exercises and ideas and tools that have been passed down for the most part by word of mouth and that don't always make it into the published works themselves. Interesting. Yeah. That, that, uh, that, that falls in line with mystery schools or just those who really hold of their teachings in high esteem. Right. That, that makes sense. That's right. And, you know, Gurdjieff is one of those people who he, you know, uh, this is a, a big statement, but it's my opinion that Gurdjieff is one of the most, you know, ripped off and um, under underquoted or under um, footnoted, um, if you will, out of any kind of modern thinker that I'm aware of. Mm -hmm. um, in part, I think it's due to the fact that um, he wanted it that way. He didn't want a cult of personality to crop up around him during his lifetime. Um, and I think it was his intention to not have it really crop up at any point. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of reasons for that that we can go into maybe a little bit later. Um, okay. But it's this aspect of that the work is first and foremost on yourself. And that if you're asleep, then, you know, it's going to be very difficult for you to become aware of of yourself and to understand 
yourself. And within the context of that laboratory, you're not going to have the inputs to be able to make, you know, to have the data that will yield you good results. Um, so the work that I do and that I, you know, the practice is to try and remember yourself. Mm, okay. And it seems, you know, this idea. So the way that Gurdjieff characterizes that is your ability to place your attention intentionally. So when we talked about the, you know, the sensation in your left foot, is it possible to, you know, remember that more often or to, you know, increase the sensation, the feeling of the sensation more than what you can do now? And so there's this aspect of, you know, neuroplasticity or, um, you know, a certain flexibility in the brain that if you use the right exercises and the right tools, you're going to get results that you can't otherwise get through brute force or that's right. The standard approach. That's right. So it's, you know, it's said and not to get too much into the, the religious here, but as a way to kind of describe it, um, Christianity tells you what to do or religion tells you what to do. And Gurdjieff shows you how to do it. Interesting. Really putting it to be applicable and viable. So you were talking about the practical realm. Um, he calls it the work. That's right. And so I believe that the, um, the funny anecdote for that is that Gurdjieff is quoted as saying, you know, I had to call it the work because if I called it sex, everyone would want to do it. <laughs> and, you know, I, I tend, I tend to believe that. And, um, but the work is, it's ongoing and it's available right here, right now. And you can carry it anywhere with you because there's always, you know, an opportunity to go into some intentional sensation, whether it be in your left foot, you know, feeling the, the air going to your lungs, you know, the sensation of your hair on your head. These are always, these opportunities are always available to us, no matter where we are. And it's very easy to, it's really important to be able to recognize that, um, you know, for me on a daily basis, that it's that self-awareness, it's that, you know, knowing thyself, attempts to remember yourself that are the things that give me more choice because without you know, I, those. I, I'm sorry to interject and I thank no, you. No, please. Um, so it's remarkably, it, it's stationed in the present 
right? There's a certain, um, that only makes sense, right? Like he's, as I understand him, he's not looking for a synthesis of the past. This is a process here and now over and over again. Is this what, is this what they mean then of the eternal recurrence? Like this is a process of the eternal recurrence. This is work that goes on moment to moment. Yes. It's, you know, we're, we live in the moment, despite the fact that, you know, our mind is going to the past and going to the future and, you know, considering and, you know, doing all these things, but Mm -hmm. we can't pull our body, you know, from the present moment. Um, And, you know, try as we may to disassociate from, from the body. Up till now, we're, we're in the body and we, we got to figure it out. So why not use it? Right. You know, the, I find it fascinating personally how it's possible that I can, with my intention, I can go to a point in my body. And if I put my attention there sufficiently, I can feel it more. So there's, or have more sensation in that point. So it stands to reason that there's some connection between my intention, my desire, my will to have that sensation. And then my body is responding with what I'm looking for. Right. So there's an interplay that you know, it seems, it seems small and it seems obvious, but there's an interplay between the different parts of yourself that is required to become more balanced. Because as it stands now, if you're man number one, focused on the body, man number two, emotions, or man number three, you're going to have an imbalance between one of those centers. And so the only way for the machine or the, the human, you know, the body or the, you know, that we're contained in for it to work effectively is to have balance between those, those three. So would you, is this a, um, pardon my term, but would this be like a linear process? The man at level number one surmounts those ills, attachments, or imbalance before ascending to the next? Or in the course of human relations on the terrestrial realm, there's any number of men, one through seven, um, existing as seven, but not six, five, you know, six all the way through one. Is that the case? You have to, what I'm saying, I guess what I'm asking is um, you cannot be a level seven man without, um, without um, integrating perhaps all of the other levels. Is that right? right. Oh, got it. Okay. And that kind of goes into a little bit more of the, um, the ideas and they're, I, I love talking about them and, but they do get more into kind of a metaphysical less verifiable um, (laughs) situation which which again is is really fun to talk about and there's a lot of parallels that can be made to a lot of different um 
schools of thought and different um, other different systems. Um, but how I can tie it back to the practicality is that at its foundation, our body is the biggest resistance that we have in a sense. Um, so for me, you know, when I want to sit down and do, you know, my morning exercise or concentration exercise or meditation, my mind says, yes, you know, I want to do that. My emotions are like, this is what I want. But then I go to sit and my body can't sit still, it's fidgeting, getting these pains. And so I, I come to see through my experience that the first resistance to this type of work is in the body. And, and so as you progressively are able to work with, you know, those challenges or those resistances, and there's many different tools and, you know, methods we can, we can talk about. Um, But as you attempt to work, you know, in more, harmony between the three centers between the emotional the mental and the physical there's going to be more cooperation between the three that will allow for a more effective and efficient functioning to get us back to a baseline of where we should be as human beings and what does he say that is well it's um the baseline would be to to have balance between the three centers because when so I'll come at this from a little different perspective okay when you have a very strong memory or a very strong experience that stays with you it's very 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 likely that you're able that that experience involved in a somewhat balanced way all three of the centers so the physical emotion emotional and intellectual and you know more often than not uh, myself included like a lot of people have their strongest memories are sometimes you know traumatic memories and you know traumatic memories or traumatic events often involve a large amount of all three of those things. So let's say if you, you know, got injured while playing a sport, while you're playing the sport, you're involved in a physical activity. You're motivated to be there. You're, you know, you have an emotion, you really want it. And then, you know, your intellect is, is running the show in one way or another, or at least observing to verify. But then when that something happens, if that injury happens, then all three of those things are present and it's going to give you the, the ingredients that you need to fully remember or have a rounded out experience. Mm, Okay. And so short of, you know, exposing yourself to a lot of accidents or, you know, traumatic things, 
you know, how can we call up a balanced state so that, you know, when I want to remember something, you know, when I want to remember this beautiful walk that I was on, you know, with my, my wife and my son, am I able to, how can I call up that ability? And to me, that's one of the most practical and meaningful and things that really keeps me going in the work is that you're getting tools to be more balanced, to, you know, have more complete experiences. You know, he situates it. I really like, you know, I'm going to tell you what, I'm going to repeat what I understand you to be saying, and maybe you can correct me, but um, you know, like, after what you're just saying, there's a fair portion of hope, very real hope that's delivered by his process. Because if I understand you correctly, he's saying that all of the elements are involved in not just those experiences that, that are injurious or detrimental, like trauma, but all situations have all of the elements, whether it's the uh, benefit or the malady, but also the solutions involved as well, right? Like that means that every element or every contextual uh, incident, right? Any event has the means of fulfillment, if not healing as well. That's right. And that's the idea of, of using your life, using, you know, what's available. And the body is is always available to us apart from you know when we're sleeping um, and for now we can't use it while we're sleeping but um yeah it's it's using what's available because and, often, you know, sorry go ahead because often we're you know people myself included get caught up in the idea of you know how things should be or you know what i need to um, you know, do X, Y, Z or to be satisfied. And there's a certain aspect to, to that, that yes, you do need certain things, but in my own personal experience, um, you know, there's, there's a certain dissatisfaction that underlies certain experiences that, you know, should otherwise be, you know, wonderful. Um, you know, I can be like specific on that, you know, like, um, one time I, I was taken out to by my dad for my birthday and we decided to go to a hockey game and you know it's something that should be really exciting and you know fun and energetic but I was not in a great place and so I couldn't thoroughly or properly enjoy you know what it was that was happening um but then on the other hand, you know, when you're able to, to find some balance or, you know, remember yourself a little bit and be more firmly in the moment, you know, taking out the trash can be immensely satisfying. That <laughs> It really delivers something per moment, per, per, um, th that means extending that out. That means that no event activity or incident is is uh 
lacking the capability of profound joy and meaning at the very least. That's exactly right. And on another side, it can always help to remind you. Uh, so, it's very, it's, it's very um, comprehensive, but again, it's simple and direct. Very, um, it, well, not so simple perhaps, but um, I don't like the, the term easy applied to philosophical systems, right? Like um, it, seems matter, it seems rather matter of course, He's, he's very, um, you know, I'm trying to find a good word for it. It's not necessarily inclusive, but he has a very, um, hmm. Cole, I'll be quiet. Go ahead. There's a certain, I hear, I understand what you're, what you're saying. And there's a certain level of um, consistency or. Yes. There's a there's a better word for it. There's like a totality of thought that kind of takes both sides of the equation into account. And I touched on it a little bit earlier regarding saying that, you know, the human being is a microcosm or of the macrocosm, which would be, you know, the human beings, the microcosm and the macrocosm is the universe. Yes. Um, and that's another one where, Gurdjieff brings that the term that people say, you know, man is made in God's image. You know, that quote, it means all types of things now, and we've taken it all types of ways. Um, and in fact, we've actually kind of turned it around and said, you know, no, God is made in man's image and God looks like a, you know, an old man. Um, That's right. Like Durkheim or something, right? Yeah. Whereas what Gurdjieff is saying is that you know, we are, our, our individual human self is a macrocosm, microcosm of the entire universe. And so if you take that at its face value, you know, it can be pretty easy to dismiss it. But if you really, you know, consider what that actually means, is it means that everything is available to us. That's right. We just don't know how to access it. You know, it's, it's funny that, like, that's a pre-Socratic formulation. There are elements of these, of certain thoughts that carry through, right? Like, that's an alchemical formulation. That's, um, you can certainly pick that up in New Age thought, right? But this isn't New Age. He's putting it, he's harnessing these elements and really delivering a substantial platform for the modern man. This is, this is all the more engrossing. Exactly. And, you know, mentioning new age and, and that, um, you know, I don't want to denigrate the whole movement or anything like that, but there's no question that there are, you know, positive aspects to, um, to certain new age ideas. But I think one of the challenges and that we see is that people will take parts from here and parts from there and, you know, try to put it together without having any idea of what they're actually doing. Mm, that's right. Because, you know, it's, it's like we were mentioning earlier how um, it's like trying to travel to a destination and thinking, 
you know how to get there without a map or you know what it's going to look like when you get there. Right, right. Like I was thinking handing your taxi driver instructions to someplace that you can't exactly pronounce nor write, nor have you been there, but it's, uh, it's as simple as saying we'll figure it out once we get there after we've been joined in the journey and the process, right? And this is one of those very, uh, you know, accurate examples of how things get lost in translation. And, mm. you know, you can have every good intention of, of getting somewhere, but if you don't have the map, no matter how hard you try to put together, you know, a hundred other type of maps, you're, you're not going to go, you're not going to get to where you need to go. No, that's right. Synthesis again. Uh, Cole, we're at an hour now and you're giving us a lot to think about. Tell you what, let's summarize this and then let's start up another podcast. Let's give some people the chance to digest it. But um, how about it? What at this point of our conversation, can you give us a brief um, summary and, um, you know, the guiding lights for our next conversation? Sure. So there's a really great analogy. It's um, an analogy that Gurdjieff uses from, it can be found in different Chinese texts or Eastern texts. And it's the image of the horse, the carriage, and the driver. Mm. So we have a carriage, we have the horse that pulls the carriage, and we have the driver that steers the horse. So the carriage represents our physical body. The horse represents our emotions. And the driver represents our intellect. And then the esoteric aspect, or more esoteric aspect, is that there is a master who's inside the carriage, who directs the driver. So it's this interplay that illustrates the functioning of our organism, our three, our three-brained system, but then also sheds a little bit of light on that that's not the whole story. We're not you know just... That's- Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, we're not just those those three brains. But in order for the master to get to where he wants to go, those three aspects need to work together properly. Uh, this engrossing is one term. I'd say this is only enjoyable as well. Um, Me too. Cole, how about it? Um, I'm going to let's cut down or let's conclude this podcast and then start one up momentarily. But, um, you know, for the listeners, I'd like to thank our co-host Cole Turner for joining us on this program and shedding some insight as to his experience and wherewithal with the Gurdjieff system. Um, You know, if people don't listen to the second hour, Cole, could you give some people, would you give the listening audience some resources as to um, not only a way to get in touch with you, but to examine the, uh, the source material? Absolutely. So I have the 
pleasure and joy of running the uh, at Gurdjieff Group Instagram account. It's a, Would you spell that? Yes. It's, so it's G-U-R-D-J-I-E-F-F group, G-R-O-U-P. Okay. And so you can find me on Instagram. I post a lot there. I make a lot of my own memes, Gurdjieff memes and, and stuff like that. Um, but I'm also fully available if anyone wants to message me, has any questions. Um, we're often putting on different talks or, or classes. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm fully available. If anyone wants to, to reach out, I'm, I'm always happy to discuss, um, Gurdjieff or, um, you know, pretty much, pretty much anything, but within the context of, uh, um, my responsibility to maintain, uh, put it this way, I don't like to get too much into my own personal, uh, ideas or belief system. So I try to keep it as much to, Gurdjieff quotes and stuff like that, but I'm always happy to uh, to discuss anything Gurdjieff related or anything outside of that, as long as they don't. No one tries to pin it down on uh, on Gurdjieff himself. It, got it. And you know what? Given his uh, not only his applicability but his utilization again of such varied ingredients, that leads to such inroads among an overwhelming spectrum of topics and conversations and. Uh, you know what, that's, that's definitely of interest here. So Cole, with that, I'm going to thank you again. I'll look forward to the next section. And uh, for those of y'all who've turned in, we really appreciate your audience and we'll look forward to the next occasion. Uh, this thank is Chats with Homegrown Chats. Cole, thanks for joining us. And I look forward to the next Gurdjieff conversation. Listen, Kent, it was, it was a pleasure. And thank you again for the opportunity. Awesome. We'll revisit and uh, yeah, I'll connect with you immediately for the next talk. All right, guys. Excellent. Thanks everybody.